Good evening, world, and welcome to another episode of A24 on the Rocks. I'm your host this evening, Kevin Kacon Konachek, and as always, we're going to start with our beverage of choice, and tonight, I'm drinking Four Roses Small Batch Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey, and it's quite delicious, and for the price point, it can't be beat. So, Eric, what are you drinking? My name is Eric Kiska. I'm drinking a basic bitch sweet Riesling because I felt it was uh, fitting for this movie. Up next, we have Blaze. Hey, guys. It's Blaze with Cheryl Ryan the first. Uh, I'm kind of a bonehead. I uh, forgot to buy Booza Hall, so I have water in my glass tonight, and you guys can just insert your favorite drink into my bean tonight. Uh, finally, we got Kelly. Kelly, come on down. Hey, it's Kelly. I'm also drinking the basic B sweet Riesling from California. It is not the ideal kind of wine, but it is sweet and it does taste kind of like orange juice. all you really need. Tonight, we are discussing the 2014 film Laggies, directed by Lynn Shelton and written by Andrea Siegel. It stars Kira Knightley as an overeducated and underemployed 28-year-old Megan, who's in the throes of a quarter-life crisis. Squarely into adulthood with no career prospects, no particular motivation to think about her future, and no one to relate to, Megan is comfortable lagging a few steps behind while her friends check off milestones and celebrate their new grown-up status. When her high school sweetheart proposes, Megan panics, and given an unexpected opportunity to escape for a week, hides out in the home of her new friend, 16-year-old Annika, played by Chloe Grace Moretz, and Annika's world-weary single dad, Craig, played by Sam Rockwell. The film is set in Seattle, Washington, and took 26 days to shoot with over 23 different locations used. It was selected for the 2014 Sundance Festival and brought bought for production by A24 shortly thereafter. So first question, was this your first time watching this film? Uh, no. Or, yes, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yes. Yep. No, here. maybe. Yes. yes. Yep. First time. Blaze, you it's too? the first time I heard of this film. All right. First time hearing of and or watching. First time hearing film. of it for All me right. too. Yeah. Yeah, I think I am in the same boat. First time hearing, seeing, and or being exposed to this particular film. The movie begins with a home video of a group of high schoolers on their prom day. An opening soundtrack is a postal service song, Such Great Heights, popular in 2004, when Iron and Wine covered it for the 2004 movie Garden State. The opening scene features a group of friends who seem to be each other's ride or die and shows a young Megan, her then high school sweetheart Anthony and their crew. You get this vibe of Together Forever as the scene fades to the present day to screams of Celine Dion as the kids jump naked into a hotel pool. Mm -hmm. So I will ask all of you, as we usually do on this lovely show, what was your initial vibe check for the start of this film? Did you enjoy the director's home video take? And did you appreciate the heavy nostalgia for prom night. Kelly, why don't you start us off? The start of this film felt like Bling Ring Part 2. <laughs> it was a group of girls and one guy hopping a fence to go swimming and I was like, I wonder if they're going to rob the house. It felt extremely similar. Then that's how it started for me and I thought that it was extremely funny. I wouldn't have appreciated that if we didn't do this podcast because I would have never seen Bling Ring otherwise. <laughs> Alright, Blaze, what do you think? Uh, my initial reactions were utter confusion just because of the camera movement. I know they were going for the home video feel, feel and like you know, like you said, nostalgia vibe, but it was like so like head spinning, like how the uh, it almost felt like one of those like old like razor phones when it was shot on. Not like you know, <laughs> I don't know. It was very confusing. I didn't understand what was going on until they jumped to present day, and then they like rehashed what happened. So um, the uh, beginning was a huge swing and a miss for me as far as uh, what they were trying to go for. All right, Eric, what do you think? What's that first uh, scene yeah. giving you? 
I felt the camcorder was super awkward, awkwardly placed. They didn't do a good job of, like, making you feel nostalgia or, you know, this was this little prom night getaway. I, I get it if they were trying to kind of level you and put you uh, in the time or whatever, uh, but they, they didn't really do that. It just it felt very sloppy, you right. know? From my perspective, uh, I think that it the scene only really served the purpose of reminding the viewer that prom is involved. Yeah. Like, outside of that, there really wasn't a whole lot to take away from that other than we need to know that prom is an an important part of this film and this group of people i also have to ask did any of you break into places and go skinny dipping uh, at that age or any other age Mm. no break in Uh, i mean yeah i mean it's more important that we break into places (laughs) i've been skinny dipping all right uh, there there we Uh, go breaking i've I can't say that I've broken in uh, to a pool, no, no, uh, indoor no pool, B&E's. and, and uh, s- swam. What no. about you, Florida man? You got anything up <laughs> <I've>, there? <laughs> it's been a long 11 years of drinking in my life. <laughs> I feel like I feel like there's been a hotel pool or two that I might or may or may not have snuck into, or at least my uh, my doppelganger, if the cops are listening right All now. All right. <laughs> <laughs> So, the movie then fast-forwards ten years into the future, and then we meet Megan's father, and we learn that she is a sign girl for his tax firm, (laughs) alluding to the idea that she has not found gainful employment over the past decade. So, question for the group. Could you be a sign person? What would you listen to while sign spinning, and what would be your signature move? Eric, take it away. (laughs) I could not be a sign person. I personally think that job should just be outlawed. It should be illegal to make people do okay. that. But if uh, if I had to do it, yeah. I think I would listen to some metal or maybe some Rage Against the Machine because I would get really angry about uh, <laughs> that I'm doing it. Hell yeah. And then what was the third question? My move? Yeah, your signature um, spin move. I would probably be doing a twirling uh, middle finger. <laughs> twirling middle finger. Uh, while I held, wow. held the sign. Beautiful. All right, all right, all right. Blaze, you're up, buddy. Could you be... I would get fired, you, basically. Blaze, could you be a sign person? Just just a quick aside. I want to say, out of all the movies we watched, the most unrealistic thing ever was that Kira Knightley would be a sign person in any, like, reality. Uh, my sister's not here anymore, so I can make comments like that. Um... <laughs> um as far as can I be a sign person, uh, I believe... No, I would hope I wouldn't. Uh, maybe as like a gag or something like that. Uh, maybe as a progressive <laughs> commercial. Who knows? Um, the music I would listen to is uh, kind of like Eric. I'd probably go towards the uh, the metal. Uh, maybe like add a little like dubstep in there as well, just so I can you know get my moves on, get the breakdown uh, right in line. Um, and my move, I'd like to do the behind the back. You know, I'm really good at behind the back basketball passes. So I feel like with enough practice, I could do the flip catch you know people getting their cell phones <laughs> hell yeah all right kelly take it away what do you got uh couldn't do it as a job i have been a sign holder and twirler for multiple bottle drives in my life i'm no good at it i'm not also a very social person when i'm working but in order to hold a sign the only thing that makes time pass is doing it with others so if i had a group of people and we could all work together and have a little cheerleading squad that might be one thing and then my signature move would involve something with the squad. Our music would be some kind of Spice Girls. That's how I'm feeling about it. But long term, All right. no way. So I absolutely could do the job if they were paying me enough because I think it'd be fun as hell just to stand around and twirl <laughs> around and make weird faces at people. I'd probably listen to like an audiobook or a podcast just for the sake of like maximizing the amount of time. And my signature move would be one of those where you spin it really, really high in the air and try to catch it before it hits the ground because I just think that's overly impressive. <laughs> so that's that. Anyway, we catch up then with <laughs> Megan and her friend group from high school with Allison, played by the excellent Ellie Kemper. I personally enjoyed the hell out of her in this movie, and she's one of my favorite actresses, so I'm going to simp on her a little <laughs> And they are about to adult super hard by seemingly getting married and opening a bar slash restaurant at the exact same time. There are some awkward scenes involving tweaking of the Buddha's nipples and some raunchy bachelorette games. It's clear after this scene that Megan has become detached from her friend group after the last 10 years, and what should have been a fun, close-knit occasion seems awkward and forced. So, have any of you had any personal experiences with moving on or away from high school relationships that might have made this scene a bit more relevant, or did it hit close to home for anyone in particular? 
And if not, I'm just gonna. Yeah, I I think there's a, a few people from my uh, that I talked to in high school. I I've been at least distanced from. I mean, I'm not gonna name names sure, or anything. There's not. one person in particular I just stopped talking to because I didn't like them. Yeah, no, I I I felt what she was putting down in that situation. Like you, you you feel like very detached from the people that you once you know had a lot of fun with in high school. Uh, I. I, I can feel that for sure. Absolutely. Anybody else want to throw anything on that question? Yeah. I've had uh, maybe my high school relationships just kind of like pieced out while I was even in college. But as far as bachelorette parties gone weird, I have felt that for sure. And it's too <laughs> close in the not so distant past that I want to name details. But <laughs> there's definitely that time when you get people together and maybe you haven't been super close in the last most recent years, or you get some new people involved and people don't understand your humor. And when that scene happened, I found it a little bit relatable where you aren't intending maybe to do something. You're just being yourself and it's taken completely the wrong way. And then you have to dig yourself out of a hole you didn't even know you were getting into. Mm-hmm. Blaze, anything you want to add? Uh, it's weird. I don't really relate to any of that. I feel like I try to stay friends with as many. Even if we, like, grow apart as people, I still, like, like God, uh, look at this, for example. I had physically seen Eric in 11 years, and he asked me to do another podcast with him out of the blue. Because, you know what? <laughs> I just feel like I like to trade in touch with people, at least, like, the little how you doing you know, very big memer, so it's very easy for me to talk to people, like, the random meme. Um, but I do want to say about that scene in particular, I feel like that was very cliche, especially for that time in romantic comedies, like, where it seemed almost, like, unrealistic. Like, I don't think... If people don't like you that much, or you're that despondent to them, I don't think you'd go along with them, especially even after college. So it was, it seemed, that scene feels so forced, like, oh, why'd you twist the Uda's nipples? Like, she hadn't been doing that. Like, that was the first time she'd ever do pull a stunt like that. Uh, so I feel like everyone would have known she was still a little bit immature for her age, and they probably would have broken up a long time ago. It was just, the scene was awful. That's when I knew that movie was going downhill. <laughs> Eric, go ahead. Yeah, I... So I pointed out, like, what is up with all their ha like their hair, their hairdos? Um, it, they were like bl had blowouts, I guess. And I, I had to ask Kelly, like, why would you know? It's 2014. Why are why would they be uh, wearing hair like that? And I guess that was made famous by Jersey Shore. But these were a lot of like, I don't know, suburban white girls, not you know, girls on the Jersey Shore. So why did they choose to give them the, those hairdos? Like, not Karen Knightley, but Ellie Kemper well, definitely Eric, had that. Yeah, uh, Kelly Eric can ask yeah, me. Why do they all have perms? And I'm looking at all of their straight hair going, nobody has a perm. I got that one wrong. Yeah. But yeah. They, do, they all have just kind of like bumped up big hair. And I wouldn't say that it was, that's been a thing forever. There were some girls and it was more clear that they were a little more on the conservative end that had like housewife hair with the little like bump up. But that's what they were selling at the yeah. time too when Jersey Shore came out were these little bump ups you could put in your hair and make it without any effort. Or make it pop up without any effort. I thought mm -hmm. right. that. Right. And I feel like see, the scene was trying to make them feel a little more adult, right? Isn't yeah. that the idea? Like 10 yeah. years later, like, oh, we're going to yeah. look a little more conservative, a little bit more like the mom worthy of the adult side of yeah. things. And that was kind of the vibe that I got too. So to answer my own question, I do think that there's an interesting uh, thing for the viewer where you kind of relate to that crew that you used to have, right? Whatever that was, whether it was in high school, elementary school, college, whatever that crew that you thought at one point you sit around looking at each other like man we'll do this forever like that doesn't always last it's you know there's a reality in that um, and i think that's kind of what this movie's or this particular the scene was just saying that you know just because you thought that you're going to be together forever as far as a friend group you know time does change all of that which we kind of do see here so from the paper tiger then which was the name of the restaurant that they were going to open we then meet anthony or at least re-meet him megan's longtime boyfriend They've been together for 10 plus years, live together, and seem generally happy, although clearly not married. He's a wedding photographer who, within the first minute, is reminding Megan of her appointment with the career counselor for later that day. She hasn't even been awake for two whole minutes, and he is on her about finding a job. As a result, the viewer can then feel another layer of stress or angst laid on top of the night before with the girls. Then Megan goes to her parents' house, where another layer of stress is added when she is questioned about her job or lack thereof by her mother and reverts to a kid when her father comes around and exclaiming, Is it? Make your own pizza night? After her father invites her to stay for dinner, 
much to the chagrin and disapproval of her mother. So, since we're on the topic of deep questions about growth and development, how is the relationship between Megan and her parents presented? Are they partially responsible for her inability to get a master's degree? Eric, do you have any particular opinions on the way their parents are portrayed in this film? I don't think they have any responsibility for her not getting her master's degree. Uh, it seems like she's a very much a daddy's girl, and her mom is the one that's the one that's trying to get her wife on track. And yeah, like I, I think you know some people in life, like I don't know, maybe even me too, <laughs> they take a while to kind of really get to doing what they want to do with their life. I, and it seems like Karen Knightley in this, she. She actually doesn't even know what she wants to do at all, you know, like, she, it's not a thing of where she hasn't gotten to where she wants to be because she tried and she hasn't just gotten there, but it's more like she doesn't even want to do, or she doesn't know what she wants to do at all. So, I, I think that is the main reason why uh, she is the way she is. She just seems kind of lost, you know? Blaze, do you think the dad serves any sort of responsibility for continuing to, you know, not just allow her daughter to come over whenever but then giving her a job and you know enabling her to continue to not be employed with you know any other job yeah i definitely think the uh, i think he's the dad on the gold mints right uh, mm-hmm. what he's also on curb your enthusiasm yeah. he's larry's agent what's, larry what's, david's what's agent. the actor's name we haven't mentioned Jeff, it yet jeff Matt garland jeff. jeff garland um is it jeff green yeah Gar- jeff garland oh, i heard you <laughs> apparently i'm wrong <laughs> continue <laughs> um yeah i guess it depends on how you jeff garland it depends on how you uh define enabler i, I think we're all entitled i think and that's the point of the movie is that we're all entitled to mature at our own rates i think he does want to be the buddy buddy more than the dad which i think could be problematic but as far as like letting his daughter like do what she wants i think he plays more of the uh n- not the protagonist but you know he he's on her side as to like you know be the sign girl as long as you want to be, and then when you want to become a marriage counselor or whatever, do that. And the mom's more of like, hey, your friends are getting married. Your friends are moving on without you. You've got to do something now. So I think there was like a dichotomy between the mom and the dad in this film. And uh, yeah, but like I said, to be an enabler, I don't really see it that way. Fair enough. Kelly, do you have any strong opinions on that uh, particular topic? Yeah, the word enabler to me designates that they are doing something that is like inherently dangerous to themselves or others i don't know that our main character is dangerous so much as she's just stagnated for a little bit it sounds like she had a whole plan was it the case that she didn't get her master's or she did get her master's she did she just hasn't got a job with yeah she yet well no she she was a counselor for a little bit but she said that she uh didn't relate to anybody that she uh, yeah, worked so with or Yeah, so she did get her higher you know? education. Her parents yeah. helped her through that, was my understanding as well. So I feel like they're just really supportive parents, even to the point where when the daughter finds out this isn't what I want to do, they're still hanging on like, we love you, we support you, and we each have our own way of showing it. In the meantime, spend some signs. I think that they both seemed like really good supportive parents and that she was just floating around. 100%. I agree. And I... Oh, much to the point, so the viewer gets the impression that the house is a safe space, right? So Megan can run to from her problems when she says she's going to go to this appointment and doesn't want to go there. She immediately goes back to her parents' house, does the flip over the couch, and you can just get that vibe that this is just where she wants to be and just to chill. So what do we think then afterwards with that scene ending about how we go from there? Because the next scene that we see, right, is the overly cliched, heavily wedding of of Allison, now Allison Wanamaker, complete with interpretive dance and catching Dad, (laughs) as Kelly alluded to, getting a creepy hand job in the garden. But the more relevant scene is when Anthony gets down on one knee and attempts to propose to Megan, clearly surprising her and setting off a chain reaction that moves the movie along. So, first question is kelly is it ever first socially acceptable to propose at another person's wedding no 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 No. eric no blaze that's the only way i'm doing it dog (laughs) right during the (laughs) that's what alien would do (laughs) you're you're gonna ask ask permission i'm not even gonna ask permission i'm just gonna be like you know when they're like does anyone have something wrong yeah i have something wrong this person isn't married to me yet 
that's look. If that happens, world, we now have evidence of it that it's actually going to. Oh, uh, it's too bad you guys right, are so already married. Everyone answered that. <laughs> All right. So, second question then: What would you do since we talked about the awkward garden hand job? What would you do if you walked in on one of your parents cheating on the other one? Eric, take it away. Um. Cut off my dad's balls. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I've met both of your parents, um, and I like both of your parents, yeah. so I totally could see that. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. I, I wouldn't do that. Uh, I would be like, Dad, what what the fuck are you doing? Well, would I speak up? Yeah. I, I don't know. I might just be in like such a, sh- a state of shock uh, that I might do the same and run away and just get drunk. I think it would really depend on that. That's like a fl- fight or flight situation right. almost where – I think in the moment I would actually figure out what I would do. Uh, I would definitely like eventually talk to my dad about it and be like, "Hey, like you know, my my dad's been married to my mom for nearly well, yeah, forty years. So yeah, I would be livid with him because I'm like forty fucking years and you do this, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, in in our in our film, I feel like they mentioned the amount of time too, like that this is the amount of time and this is what you decide to do right now at that point in time. Yeah. So that's kind of relevant there too. Uh, Kelly, what about you? What would you do if you walked in? Yeah. So I'm was, I said to Eric when we were watching it and then immediately regretted it when I saw the next scene that when she's at her parents' house and her mom's kind of on her a little bit and her dad walks in and he's, she's, she's a daddy's girl and I get older and I don't like using that phrase anymore, but I'm the same way. <laughs> and my dad's been that same person of just like, yeah, we'll have pizza tonight. Let's go. And then the, I'm, I tell Eric, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, it's like me and my dad. And then the next scene comes and I'm like, I would have screamed. <laughs> I would have absolutely lost my mind. And the fact that she didn't kind of surprised me because you wouldn't want them to get away with it. I would want them to be, I would want it to be known that they were seen right then and there. That would have been my reaction. Yeah. Scream. I think for me that. Head off. That truly meant that it was a, tr- a true shock for her, right? Yeah. That she absolutely never in her mind ever thought that that was a thing that her possibly could dad do. Blaze, what about you? If I saw one of my parents cheating, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Probably the same thing as Eric said, to be honest. Um, I wouldn't cut my dad's <laughs> balls off, but uh, <laughs> I would definitely think about it as I like... <laughs> No, I think that scene is actually kind of interesting since we're already talking about this film way more than anyone else on the planet already. <laughs> if we're gonna if we're gonna get art film about this, let's get art film about this. She didn't it, want to wreck the wedding when her uh, boyfriend um, proposed to her, so I think she's not a confrontational person. So it mm-hmm. actually reflects that who she is as a person mm-hmm. when she sees her dad. So she would mm-hmm. rather get out of that situation. So I think that was just reinforcing her character. Um, yes. And it was very weird, and I kind of blanked that whole scene out of my head, to be honest you. I'm so glad you're doing this. It, it really... Yeah. <laughs> it did come out of nowhere for me, right? It absolutely was just kind of like, oh, this is awkward. You just said no to your boyfriend of 10-plus years. And on top of that, we're going to add catching your dad cheating on your mom in the same scene. Which actually, oddly for me, made when she got to the grocery store in the next scene, which we'll talk about here shortly, a lot more believable because she was at essentially rock bottom emotionally. Like, she's just reeling at this point. And then we now get to 16-year-old Annika Hunter coming in. Um, and we'll talk about that. Before we move on, did anyone else have anything about that wedding they wanted to talk about? From that I've... ridiculous interpretive dance <laughs> to just the way the whole thing was set up, just like opinions on that in general. Interpretive dance was stupid. The be our godparent. Wait, that comes later, actually. Yeah, um, right. The I wanted to talk about the boyfriend a little bit. This like sickly sure, sweet. Sure, Anthony. Yeah, I want to. He's yeah. He's sickly sweet, like the sweet riesling that I'm drinking right now as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> and his, it's so clear how not into him that she is, and it makes me extremely sad. And I think that he's a little bit lost as well and is living in dreamland and the whole relationship between the two of them, it was so obvious where it was headed immediately and him proposing to her at the wedding and her uncomfortable all the way through, didn't like him, didn't like the relationship. And she lied to him from the beginning. It continues throughout the movie. And it's just like, girl, get out of there. (laughs) Yep. Absolutely. Anybody else uh, got 
any inputs on the wedding scene? Uh, it was pretty nauseating that interpretive dance. Yeah, it reminds me. I'm not, again. Yeah. I'm just in case people that I know listen to this. I went to a wedding where shit like that went down, and I literally like had to leave the reception. I was like, "This is not cute. This is just like yeah. the, one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life." And uh, yeah, N- yes, that was crazy. Well, while we're playing up this movie to have deeper themes <laughs> and all of that, that scene in general absolutely was just like. But I guess. At the same time, that's probably the director's intent, right? To make us look at Megan's character who's rolling her eyes and can't imagine herself at all doing this ever. And then literally 20 minutes later, she's getting proposed to. So I think from that perspective, it probably does set up a a good point. Because if this is all of our reaction to it, it's probably her reaction as well from a character standpoint, which is pretty cool. So we then continue to move on, like I just alluded to earlier, that Annika Hunter, or Annika in this circumstance, is uh, entering the, f- the fray, entering the movie. So she asks Megan to buy her beer, and I guess I have to ask all of you, did any of you ask random strangers at a liquor store to buy you booze at any point in time in your lives? No. No? Oh, yes. 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 Eric, uh, tell me the story. I... I asked a homeless man one time to buy me beer. We drove him to a different gas station from the one where he was. Uh, and, yeah, he went inside. I actually gave him some extra money. Man, we're in Detroit. I gave him some extra money to do it. He got outside, and he said the people at CVS, like, saw us uh, in the car, and he kind of, like, knew what was going on. So he wanted us to walk down an alley uh, to get our, our beer and so I started walking with him a little bit down the alley, and then I eventually was just like, dude, just come on. Just give me my beer. I'll even give you another five bucks. And then he he, he did, and uh, I got the beer, ran, and uh, left. I thought you were about to get uh, shivved, with- man. Like, Yeah. I, yeah. And no, I mean, like, I don't know. I, I was The guy was pretty nice for a bit, but then I just didn't want to walk down the alley all the way with Maybe him. Maybe he all just right. wanted to skateboard with you. <laughs> yeah. He, he could have. That yeah. could have been it. So yeah. at least one of us have had that lovely experience. I never have. Really? Uh, Blaze yeah. Kelly? No, neither of you. Oh, I was the king of hey, Mister. That was like, but my calling card. Um. So basically, there's a, a game that you play when you start, probably around 17, 18, all the way until your 21st birthday. It's called Hey, Mister. Uh, where you stand outside liquor stores, and when people walk in and they look cool, like you know, kind of like. Uh, Kira Knightley said, like, oh, this happened to me before. But you're looking for that person. And you say, hey, mister, uh, can you buy us some beer? And then you give them a 20 and you give, tell them what you want. And then when they come back out, you say you keep the change. And then you redo it. But, like, it only took one person to just get the courage to just go up to a random person that just got out of their car. All right. And a lot of times people in McHenry County, Illinois are pretty cool people so <laughs> so we just discovered that this film was actually pretty accurate in this scene because they mentioned that and like they talk about keeping the change right and the line that i actually wrote down and i wanted to talk about was when chloe says i had a good feeling about you mm-hmm. and then megan responds with that makes one of us and i really thought that was really you know kind of a little more deep than at surface level because it truly shows you that Megan has a really poor image of herself. Like even at the most basic time when you're buying a 16 year old beer, you're just kind of like, man, I am just a terrible human being, (laughs) but she continues to do those things in general, right? She just goes through the process anyways. So I thought that was interesting. Did anyone else uh, take note of that particular line or thought that it had any relevance to the film itself? I agree. And I think that at this point in the film, we have an idea of maybe how the main character feels about herself. So when, Annika says I had a good feeling about you it felt manipulative to me and I was like mm-hmm. well she doesn't know how she feels about herself she might have thought it was just a genuine compliment she's probably not trying to manipulate this woman 10 years her senior but that was my feeling as the audience member of ooh, weird power play by this high schooler <laughs> right I also took note that I thought man is she manipulating is she trying to use Megan at this point in time and and that does change later in the film but I had the exact same reaction as you Eric did you have any particular opinion on that line or the grocery scene I have more opinions on what happened directly after her drinking with these kids like and hanging out with them it was creepy mm-hmm. it like I don't know if you uh if you made that a, a man like a 28 year old man it, it was creepy even with a woman but if you made that a man and like a younger boy then like I think it would be super creepy like and it creeped me out yeah 
Oh, absolutely. The whole, the whole friendship. That, that is because I was when that scene happened. Yeah. I was like, if this was a Seth yeah. Rogen film, this would have gotten like, it would have gotten it spit roasted by like critics and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, I mean, I guess super bad. It's you know the cops hanging out with uh, McLovin, but that's like all comedic and it's like insinuated that this is fucking weird, just, you know. And this is trying to be serious about it. I right? was, so it's almost like yeah. Go ahead, Kelly. I was say, like thinking about if we switched the genders around, yeah. and I have a brother who's ten years older than me, and so I was picturing myself in high school, and if one of my brother's friends or even acquaintance of his. I was thinking how much older than me that they felt when I was in high school, which felt like a lot. And if I was hanging out with one of them, even with my friend group, minus my brother being there, skeeviest thing I could ever imagine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That'd be I think awful. For me, this this movie struggled in its believability. There was, there was multiple yeah. scenes for me that just did not feel like a conceivable option at any point in time, no matter how much the writer or the director tried to gloss over the fact. Like you just alluded to, Eric. Like In any circumstance, 28-year-old hanging out with a 16-year-old, regardless of the situation, male, female, or otherwise, is probably construed as creepy and, and inappropriate. So, yeah, yeah, I 100% agree on that. Um, and one, one more thing. Yeah. I could see it being a lifted off, a lifting off point. If maybe this ended up making her realize that uh, she wanted to be a child counselor or a child yeah. therapist, mm-hmm. that would be a good lifting off point there. Right. But with minus all her drinking with the, the kids and mm-hmm. like going to a high school party, right. minus oh, all right. that, you know, that yeah. would have been a way that maybe this film could have saved itself a little bit. Right. But it didn't and, do that. And we'll so. talk about <laughs> it when we get to the scene with yeah. the guidance counselor. But I 100% agree with you. I think that was a point where yeah. they just kind of slipped off and could have missed an opportunity there and from this and from this moment on like it became extremely hard to watch because yeah just of the real world implications of everything that's going on and it gets like even weirder uh once we get to that part right and and honestly so we're about to talk about it so this at this point the film then begins basically the second act right it's the story of the relationship between annika and megan it feels like the second act of the movie has the performance and theme shift to not just look at the behaviors of Megan, but now of that of Annika and eventually her father, Craig, which is played by Sam Rockwell, which we will talk about in another question down the line. But did you feel that shift? I know we just kind of alluded to it, but you really felt a shift in the mood of the film. Do you feel like the introduction of Annika's character, Megan starts to embrace this idea of a simple life that adolescence provides and uses as almost like an excuse for all of her non-adult-like behavior later in the film. Did you guys feel that actual shift in the film at that point? Uh, I didn't think it was until after uh, she helped her out at the school counselor, because I feel like she really sure. wanted to be a one-off night, uh, just to get away from the wedding and stuff like that. And then Chloe Moratz, uh, Annika, sorry, uh, she called in for the school counselor, and that's when... Uh, yeah, that's when the tonal shifts <laughs> Right. Can you yeah. do me a favor? Like, I would never ask a 16-year-old for a favor. But <laughs> mm-hmm. let alone, can I yeah. spend, at your, spend a week at your house? <laughs> no, I agree with Blaze that, that that wasn't quite the shift that early. I thought that it might still be just a one-off, even though I knew that Annika's face was on the cover of the movie. She goes home from that and gets proposed to and lies to her boyfriend and lies again and just this whole disaster until yeah uh the annika call and the counseling scene that's i feel like when the shift happened for me sure absolutely eric i didn't really feel a shift uh because i just felt like this move this movie tonally kind of stayed the same it it got creepier as it went on i think but like um this is what i started to feel like after that part of the movie or during that part of the movie i told kelly that this was like 13 going on 30 done wrong (laughs) and then kelly said like yeah it's 30 going on 13 and then um i'm like that's kind of true and so like chris uh, hansen it still had that rom-com feel to it yeah it had that rom-com tone to it yeah uh, so I, I didn't feel a big tonal shift, at least, but it just kind of got creepier as it went on. So audience members, as you can probably tell by now, we're trying to pull uh, blood from the stone, as they say. So yes, we're yes. looking for these deep-seated <laughs> questions that may or may not be there for everybody. But for us, we're going to try to keep diving into it. The counselor scene elicited, for me at least, a pretty deep-seated question that all the viewers kind of had to ask themselves when they're asking about plans for the future. And the guidance counselor actually kind of poses to Chloe about what you're going to do, right? 
And Chloe responds with, I don't know, kind of seems stupid to plan that far in advance when you're going to change your mind anyways. And I kind of felt that hit home a little bit. I mean, is it stupid to make a rigid plan for the future? Or as Megan so eloquently stated afterwards, I think it's stupider to not pay attention to who you are and what makes you happy. Otherwise, you just float. There was a lot of fluff in this movie, but I really thought that this scene particularly made me think a little bit more than other scenes. And maybe that was just me. Did anyone else take away anything away from this guidance counselor scene, some of those lines that I mentioned? Yeah. Um, I Go ahead, Blaze. I think they're both wrong. I think it's a person-by-person basis. If you find comfort in like rigid plans and you want to be a doctor when you're five years old and you want and that's all you want to do and that makes you happy then i think that's great and i also think that if you don't have a concrete plan and you just want to live life and uh live every day as if it's your last i think that's great too it's wherever you find your happiness so it's it's very uh this movie is very black on white black and white on its themes when in reality there's so much gray Mm -hmm. available you know i dropped out of college uh my freshman year and i thought i'd never go back and then when I was uh, 23, 24, I went back and I got my, I double majored. And now I'm, you know, doing what I wanted to do, at least a version of it. And that might change in the future again, too. So, you know, like, I think it depends on where you are in life. And you shouldn't uh, be prescribed to one path or the other because not, neither path might not work for you. So I think that's, uh, again, a huge flaw in the movie where they say it's this or this. Sure. Kelly, did you feel a connection at that point? Did you know what you wanted to do at 16, 17, 18 years old? So I agree with both of you. um, And then I'll get to me at 16. Sure. For a movie, for me, that was very lacking and predictable in script and in story. I did think that those two lines were like the most poignant that I did kind of remember and take with me because it did remind me of when I was in high school and I don't know if everyone's high school experience was like this but by the time we were seniors we were expected to have like a paper of here's my plan here's the college I'm going to for my school you had to get a certain ACT even to graduate and um, all these kind of things and I had a very high GPA I had all these things and I just wanted to go to northern and study art <laughs> a lot of my teachers were like what are you doing I'm like I think it's gonna make me uh, happier and it's the only thing that I feel any calling towards so that was how I was as a kid but I I related to both of them where I was like I have to have a general idea of a future you have to have a general idea and this is what that script made me think is these are the only things that made my brain light up again (laughs) compared to the rest of the movie um and both i think that both things are true uh when you are in high school it's very hard to tell somebody you have to have a solid concrete plan because you're not your brain's not even fully developed like and you have a lot of more things to learn and do and see and uh at the same time you need a general idea otherwise yeah you do float and i thought that both of those things can exist together and that it was the strongest point in the movie for me. Absolutely. And I think there's a reason I wrote that down is particularly for me, it rang true. I thought at 18, if someone would have told me that I didn't know, didn't need to know what I was going to do for the rest of my life. I didn't need to know what my college major was going to be, where I needed to be or what I was going to do when I was 30. I probably would have been a lot more successful in the first four years of my life becoming an adult, but that's neither here nor there. Did anybody else uh, have an opinion on that particular question, Eric? So this is a random, like, uh, reference to another movie, but you know the movie Soul, uh, Pixar? Yeah. yeah. Disney? It was excellent. Yeah, yeah, it's like, um, what was it? You you find your spark, you have your spark, but that's not always what you're actually meant to do or intended to do. Uh, you have your spark, but then you kind of figure out what you're actually good at after you have your spark. And that's kind of, I don't know, if I had to give tips to people, uh, going into adulthood, that that's what I would suggest is, uh... Yeah, you're not supposed to know exactly what you're going to do. Find what you like to do, you know, because, I mean, everyone wants to do something that they at least enjoy a little bit. But, uh, you know, like, you you will eventually have to figure out what you're actually good at doing, too. Yeah. <laughs> so, Hell yeah. Yeah. Last question. Do you think Megan goes on to become a school counselor after that conversation? Hell no. I think she did. Hell no. Hell no, Blaze. I don't even right. think she touches counseling at the end. Child counselor, I could see maybe something. We're not even supposed to like know or like uh, try to guess like at the end yeah. uh, why what she ends up yep. doing. It's really just like 
hey, she falls in love with the dad. Yep. And, yeah, you know, and like, we'll probably get to that yeah, when we talk about the end. Spoil it for the listeners. No, I, like, I like the idea of that. I like the idea of but her becoming a let's, counselor. Yes, let's let's talk about... Hey, remember that time I infiltrated a bunch of 16-year-olds' lives? Can you please let me be your school counselor? <laughs> what? No, right, get yeah. the fuck out of here, you weirdo. That's my All spark. All right, back on, <laughs> back on the rails. As the film continues, we get what basically amounts to a falling-in-love montage as the relationship between Megan and Chloe's dad, Craig, blossoms. So let's talk about Sam Rockwell and his character. What did you all think? What were your impressions of his character and how he was able to deliver his performance as the cool single dad just trying his best for his kid? Kelly, what'd you think of Sam? I love Sam Rockwell. Adore him. And he did his very best with what he was given. (laughs) (laughs) Is how I feel with it. He found a way to make his lines fun. uh, And I think that he did his best with like I said, what he was given. Um, it's hard. It's not, it's hard not to be charmed by him. And right? I, I think that if maybe a different actor played that same character, I would have been like, Ugh. but because it's him, I very much trust him very much like him. And I thought he did a good job. Awesome. Blaze. What'd you think about Mr. Rockwell's performance? Just like Kelly. I really, really love him as an actor. I think he's a really good person in real life as well. And again, it could be a script thing, but I wasn't buying it at all. I feel like it was a little over the top. I feel like his mood shifts were just so drastic from the who the hell are you and why are you in my daughter's room to stay indefinitely. And then, you know, she's quirky, you know, because she's trying to feed an anorexic turtle, which again, weird, bad joke, you know, and then all of a sudden they're in love because why? I don't understand. There was no character developmental growth between them. Outside of that, I don't know how much you want me to give away, but, you know, she helped Chloe reconnect with her mom and stuff like that. And she's Corey. I don't know. I didn't get it. I didn't really like him. I feel like as it's the uh, as weird as a 28 year old hanging out with a 16 year old, a mid 40 guy, mm-hmm. lower 50 guys hanging out with a mid 20 year old. It's just it's all weird. And it's all just like just not my cup of tea. So love him as an actor. Terrible role. And wasn't a likable character in my opinion eric anything to add on that he's he's an amazing actor i love sam rockwell he's maybe the only character in here that i'm like somewhat okay with like as like uh the pretense for him as a person yeah the script was just so awful that i couldn't get on board with everything going on with him understandable so So eventually chloe then asks megan to take her to meet her real mom as blaze alluded to whether she wants vindication that her mother is still this absent, terrible person, or if she wants confirmation that Megan is this mother figure or a role model and might be better for her in general, that's kind of left for the viewer to decide. So what did you think of this scene with Chloe's mom and the awkward lingerie gifts? Does it solidify that Chloe and her dad are better off without her and it's time to move on, or was it just a filler scene to kind of make the character feel a little bit more developed? Eric? I think it was actually more of a bonding scene between Megan and Annika. I, I don't think that, like, her mom's all of a sudden just going to start being in her life or anything, but, like, I actually think that was meant to be a bonding scene between the two of them to be like, hey, maybe I can end up being your stepmom. You know, it's her figuring that out, you know? Absolutely. I, I think that, and both of them being okay with it. It's just, like, the starting off point in that relationship, though, is just... <laughs> You know, that's not a way to start out with trying to be somebody's stepmom. Right. So absolutely. Yeah. Kelly, what do you think? Yeah. This is so weird, but for some reason that whole scene between the two of them reminded me of Napoleon Dynamite. That's when fun. they it just like when they walk in on and I know this is an A twenty four podcast, I'm sure that people listening have seen Napoleon Dynamite, the famous film. Uh they walk in on Starla and Napoleon's uncle is putting pots over her breasts and saying we could get you up to a size like this that's how the lingerie entire scene felt to me I felt just the same (laughs) feeling it took me back to high school so Uh, but Uh, I agree it's just filler Uh, we didn't need it and it was just unnecessary in my opinion go ahead yeah I'm no, no, point. I was just saying, I, I agree with you. I think it's completely filler. Blaze, did you have any opinion on the lingerie scene? It's so funny that you bring up this scene as whether uh, oh, it's yeah? an actual scene or it's filler. Because it was at that time where I, you know, clicked pause and see how much movie was left. And there was like an hour and 20 minutes. <laughs> and I am looking at this and I'm like, 
was did we really need a scene with the mother where it goes absolutely nowhere? Like she doesn't come mm-hmm. back in the film. She's barely mentioned to begin with. Like can't the mother have just left and just leave it at that? You could have cut 10 minutes off the film and maybe I'm not falling asleep on Monday when I'm trying to watch this movie. Those are basically yeah. my uh, yeah. thoughts on it. I guess I can see where Eric's coming from where, you know, maybe she's like, you know, trying to slide into her goods graces, but I don't even think she was like making googly eyes at Sam Rockwell at that point. So, I don't know. That scene was just like really like do we really have time for this and uh apparently they did apparently it was part of the uh, motif so (laughs) real quick aside i i also agree with everything you said there uh it was interesting to me that she wanted to stay off in the kitchen and didn't have any plans to come back to the living room until megan goes in there and is like yo just talk to your daughter so for me kind of opposite of what eric was saying i think it was more of a scene to like write her out completely as just someone who was totally disconnected from the family and was more concerned about taking laundry photos of herself than her daughter and ex-husband. But that's neither here nor there. Um, We move on, and the movie continues, and we see the relationship between Megan and Craig rapidly escalate. And with the help of some bourbon and some beers from the local Mexican watering hole, we see the eventual culmination of that relationship. So, what did we think of the sleepover scene? I found the irony of them having to sneak out of the house and the back was hilarious while their teenage daughters were in the house. I thought that was actually pretty well done. Um, did anyone else take anything away from the sleepover scene and the eventual drunken hookup between our two protagonists? I do have to say, not specifically about like them hooking up or the sleepover, but there was like an actual joke in this part of the film. Uh, there's a there's a setup and there's a payoff and I kind of chuckled so props to the movie uh, at the beginning when she first shows Kira Knightley the uh, house she's like oh if you uh, put water in this bin of wine then my dad can't taste you know and then the callback is he's like I really need a drink but the yeah. wine tastes like water and I went ha that's funny that's a joke you know <laughs> so <laughs> they did it <laughs> but the uh, <laughs> the scenes in general were again just pretty cringe in my book there's no reason a mid 20 year old should be having a sleepover with a child she met a week and a half ago and someone who is technically fiancéed at that point there's no reason for them to say hey don't finger bang me in uh the streets finger bang me at your house where my friend your six-year-old daughter or take it was weird take off my daughter's t-shirt it's creepy (laughs) like you're you're literally alluding to the creepiness when they end up having sex exactly also (laughs) just awkward also another unrealistic part is i believe when they first walked into the bar they're like we're closing up and then they end up having like seven yeah. shots. Yeah, it's like three I'm like, no, Although, no. Yeah. That's that's fairly realistic, right? You go in there and be like, oh, I'm closing. Yeah, I'll be fine. And then just one shot, two Not, shot, Well, three it shot, shows you. Shot. Here's the depth, right? It shows you right. how inconsiderate the two of them are as people. <laughs> yes. Oh, oh yeah. dicks. <laughs> anyway. Okay, when go the, ahead, the first kiss is so awkward. When Craig just pulls Megan towards him yeah. by like her collar basically that was such an awkward like cringy move and it was supposed to be like like, romantic it was supposed to be romantic yeah Yeah. that first kiss moment i was talking or i was saying i said this to eric out loud so usually when we're watching movies eric and i both watch it very seriously we don't talk to each other during the movie we don't even talk about it afterwards we save it for the show (laughs) that's how much we care about this podcast commitment (laughs) this though with that first kiss I smacked my face myself in the head a lot <laughs> in the show. So, yeah. Uh, but when I was just imagining the director, like Sam Rockwell, you esteemed actor, I want you to throw your umbrella on the ground, grab her by the coat, and pull her in for a kiss. I'm like, imagine directing yeah. somebody to do that and being like, it'll be romantic, and then she's going to suggest that you're finger banging her on the street. I'm like, what is happening? How is this cute? How is this? supposed to make anyone root for them yeah 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 i'm with you i'm with you so and as the plot of the movie then escalates towards the finish we kind of get the really heavy moment right when they're trying on the prom dresses and megan's infidelity is finally revealed and eventually a heartwarming moment to follow with the car crash scene and the taking the rap for the drunk driving and all of that I don't want to overanalyze it because I feel like we've already beaten this to death like a horse did anyone else feel that crash coming I feel like, for me, the director did a really good job of ramping up the drama, the intrigue, and the conflict as the movie accelerated to that exact point, where I was literally writing, 
car crash incoming as the car crash <laughs> was did anyone else get that vibe as we were watching this film yeah 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 i knew something was gonna happen and you know it doesn't help that they destroyed federal property when you destroy mailboxes that's a federal crime and it's taken very seriously (laughs) yeah you should not do it we the the postal police will get your podcast postman love it effing love it just the right podcast perfect (laughs) podcast are you kidding me so that was so predictable, right? It was incredibly predictable. Yeah. We all felt it was coming. And is that is that a, uh, a vindication or a detriment? Uh, or a, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a detriment because about? the whole detriment, movie yeah. has been predictable. But in, mm-hmm. the only thing mm-hmm. you couldn't predict was how creepy and how nobody would ever say that it's creepy <laughs> that the movie was. Yeah. That's the only thing that was unpredictable. Everything else, duh. I mean, to be fair, Sam Rockwell thought it was creepy at first, and then, like, five minutes right. later, he was like, nah, I'm going to make a judgment yeah. call. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Right. Like, I actually thought there was going to be some saving grace there when Craig, Sam Rockwell, you know, talks to her about it. Like, why are you hanging out with my daughter? You know? But, yeah. like, it, there's no, like, it. she just goes back to hanging out with her again. So it's... No, be, it's right. Great. Exactly. Like, because yeah. she was honest Go with ahead. him. That's <laughs> Right. Yeah. Oh yes, right. The honest right. conversation yeah. that was really the whole virtuized thing throughout the whole thing. Yeah. So like, the ending... I'd like to take you out for drinks later. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so weird. Like so after the crash, right? So Megan takes the rap for Zach who was driving drunk and ends up in jail and like the scene we just alluded to. It's all this big eventual final redemption and then of course the boxed wine on the steps and just the whole scene in general. I feel like we've talked about this, but the movie just got worse and worse every minute as it continued on until the very crazy ending that really didn't make any sense for me personally. I felt it was rushed. I didn't feel like it was something that closed off the movie at all. It was basically like it all depends on what guy you're with and that determines your relationship or your worth in your life, even though it posed a lot of really good questions earlier in the movie, but then ended with something terrible. And I'm sure we'll get to that in our final reviews, but that's just kind of my two cents with the ending. So you guys go ahead and give me your final thoughts on the ending specifically, and we'll kind of go on from there. Going back to our boyfriend who I the whole time was just like, why are you even with this guy? Obviously, you two do not see eye to eye i couldn't believe that she went back continued to lie to him i thought that she was going to come clean right away at least i hope so and then she doesn't and they get all the way to the airport before she finally compares herself to a snake dragging its old skin around Mm -hmm. meaning him and i was like that's awful and she never says i cheated on you never ever admits it and i'm like you are still a child and it is shown because you need time by yourself girl you've been with this guy since high school you need some self-learning you need some growth alone and immediately she's just like i'm gonna put a high school note in a wine box to a middle-aged man and that's how i'm gonna find my new self-worth and it's just like oh you're setting yourself up for failure again girl I don't know. Yeah. Very disappointed. Yep. Nope. Very disappointed in our in our main character. Absolutely. Yep. After a bunch of growth and then just nothing. Um, don't proms have age limits. That's one thing I wrote down. Like, it's at least, like, at, at the most, you can be, like, 22 I... or something. That's what I think I heard. And she was 28 um, when she went to that prom. No way that would happen. The snake speech, super, super awkward. And, yeah, she admits to Craig that, like, she cheated on on er, sorry that she was she was engaged at that point but then she doesn't admit to anthony the guy that she's been dating for like 10 years and her fiance that she's cheated on him she doesn't like think he's worth it you know basically to for her to tell him and so it makes her character completely not likable and it also was just really hurried and sloppy you yeah. know rushed and, 100% yeah, rushed exactly and then you get to the end of the movie where they end up happily ever after. And it's just, I don't know. Yeah. It's so bad. And especially for an A24 movie where <laughs> yeah. you think that yeah. the theme should make you question things or make you ask a question at the end of the movie, there was nothing left mm. for the viewer to ask. Everything was bitten up a little bow. It was done. It was wrapped up. You're fine. Ending over. Yeah. Which was just so anti-A24 and anticlimactic for me. I just couldn't stand it. Blaze, go ahead. So I want to talk about this ending of the movie since everyone else got to it. Um, It it baffles my mind 
uh, that an two-hour movie they had to rush the ending there is no redemption arc for anyone everyone is a terrible no. <laughs> terrible awful person and i know that i'm a better writer than whoever wrote this movie because i thought of this when i was watching it when they were at the prom remember what i said what a joke is like set up punchline she was at the school earlier in the movie with the school counselor how funny would it have been if the school counselor saw her with her daughter at prom because that she was pretending to be the mom and they didn't even do yeah. that. Like, they gave, like, I don't know. And then, like, everyone else aptly said, I don't understand her redemption. I don't understand why Sam Rockwell would take her back. I don't understand why Anthony would be upset after he, like, she lied to him in so many ways over the past two weeks. She wasn't at this conference. She cheated on him. And she's hanging out with 16-year-old girls. Like, why is this the main character? Isn't this the evil stepmom in most movies? Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Not, this, I'm with this you. This movie I'm with just you. tumbled so, and fell at the end. So we've kind of danced around all of these fun subjects, and we've talked about the different performances by different actors. But a fun fact that we kind of didn't dance around or talk about is that Anne Hathaway was actually originally slated, as some of you may know, for this role before Keira Knightley picked it up because of a scheduling conflict. She only had about three weeks to get the accent and the role down because Keira Knightley is very British and this role is very American. What did you guys think of that particular acting job as far as her performing as a angsty American middle-aged adult with nothing to do? Did you think that maybe Anne Hathaway may have done that job any differently? Kelly? I don't have high thoughts on Anne Hathaway necessarily. I don't adore her by any means. And then Kara Knightley, I, I'm unfamiliar with her. I know her name, but I don't. I can't think of anything I've ever seen her in. Um, Pirates I've, of the Caribbean is probably the most famous thing that okay. she had ever done up into this. Atonement, uh, Do- Domino. Yep. It's a great movie. You, you guys are gonna name things, and I'm gonna say I haven't seen it. <laughs> Star Wars Episode One: The yes! Phantom Menace. She was yeah. Padme's uh, handmaiden. You know, I actually thought she looked like she should be in Star Wars. She, so that's she was actually yeah. yeah yeah. Natalie Portman and her. I've been a doppelganger for as far as many yeah. people have ever I could been. Definitely, the imitation game. I can see yeah. that. Um, anyways, as far as her performance, as someone who's unfamiliar no. with how she usually Citizen is, Citizen Stop. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mr. IMDb, let's, let's let her talk. Yeah, get off the internet. <laughs> um, I said Citizens Kane, too, and not Citizens I know, Kane. it was really yeah, cringy. It. This is a deep yeah. cut. Anyway, where were uh, we going with this? Well, with with your backstory of how little time she yes. had to prepare, um, yeah. that makes a lot more sense. I was didn't think that she was a very strong actress, and I was surprised because I have heard her name so many times, I thought that it would be better done uh specifically like when she would smile or cry she had this very cringed expression that really made me feel like if it didn't feel like a very good acting job and i felt rude to say so but i wanted to make mention it was extremely uncomfortable and out of place she'd make this like bearing all of her teeth kind of cringe when she was supposed to be smiling uh and it irked me. So, sure. For me, I find it interesting that the last couple of movies that we reviewed have been A24 films that have had A-list actors attached to them that result in A24 buying them. It makes me kind of wonder that, you know, if Sam Rockwell or Keira Knightley are not involved in this film, does A24 pick this up and decide to produce it or distribute it without those actors and a pretty relatively subpar, you know, plot film and otherwise anybody have any thoughts on that they probably wouldn't have if uh if the big acting games weren't attached to it and right. yeah like i i still i question these actors like uh, same with uh charles swan um and like a lot of the other bad movies we we've uh watched i i guess there hasn't been a ton so right. far but uh there there's been a few where like you see these great actors and you wonder did they read the script at all like how could you not mm-hmm. read the script and see from a mile away like this movie is not very good uh and so these are good actors i think right. but like when you have such a bad screenplay there's not much you can do with it you know yep 100 percent. so as we kind of wrap towards the end here we're gonna get ready for our a24 reviews uh does anyone else have any final thoughts on things that they wanted to uh add to this discussion before we move in that direction uh, i just wanted to make a quick counterpoint to what eric said 
I feel like yeah. this was very much so uh, a paycheck movie. I feel like these actors got together. They said, we're going to pay you this amount of money. You don't even have to look at the script. Just show up for a couple days and we'll get out of here. There's only like five set scenes. So, you know, it's not like it's going to be over 21 days of filming. Charles Swan, I really feel like they everyone thought it was going to be a way better movie than uh, the product that got turned out. But for this movie, this definitely felt like most romantic comedies and where, uh, you know, gotta you got to add the extension onto your pool somehow. So not all of them are going to be winners. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know how this would be a paycheck movie because this was very much an indie film that, like, I they didn't spend a lot of money to make this film. It, so I, I don't they know. Still if it, they still got paid. Yeah. paid either way. They got paid, but, like, probably not a lot. Yeah. Like, they probably... Karen Knightley could have easily done Pirates of the Caribbean, like, seven. She was and, in, like, yep. three you know, Pirates of the Caribbean. But she also... I know, but, like, she, she could have done, yeah, like, a big box office she, movie. No, she and, chose yeah. to leave that franchise to move towards indie films. So, like, that's a kind of a, yeah. you know, a decent example in this circumstance. Anyways, so yeah. <laughs> this film is a clear example of the Arrested Development trope, albeit a gender-reversed one, as we kind of alluded to earlier. And this character is one that's typically resolved or reserved for, as Blaze mentioned, a Seth Rogen type. So, as we're kind of wrapping our head around the ending here, and this whole movie in general, I know most of us have a pretty strong opinion on how this goes, so I'm going to go ahead and lead off with my review first, because I'm already talking and it makes the most sense. Uh, I think that there was some really deep-seated ideas and some themes in this movie that probably could have been explored to a much better version of itself given the right time and the right attention i don't think the director or the writer did a particularly good job with the theme or the scenes i don't think that the actors or the actresses really went above and beyond to make this any more memorable than some of the one-liners that we had mentioned Uh, i think that at the end this movie suffers from itself and is a bigger idea than it really needs to be and the A-list actors is the only reason that A24 bought this or that we're talking about it at all. I give it a very middling D24 because it had some saviors, but it was mostly just a pain to watch, and it was a struggle to bring anything up as a topic of conversation. So, that's my rating. Eric, why don't you go next? Everything was awful about this film. I, I can't find any saving grace to it. This is going to be kind of shitty, I guess, but this is going to be my second F24 in a row. <laughs> this is an F24. Uh, bad screenplay, no cinematography to speak of, nothing interesting about this film, and it was very creepy at points, uh, so the plot just easily falls apart. It makes you wonder why they even made it at all. So, there we go. F24. Damn straight. <laughs> Kelly? Yeah, so this film, I had told Eric it felt like a a slightly more artsy wine mom's lifetime movie who loved her time <laughs> in high school uh yeah. i found it extremely predictable and the only times it wasn't predictable like i had alluded to before was just when it was so creepy and nobody seemed to give a crap it was just weird and not entertaining and not artfully done it didn't ever stimulate my brain to think anything other than i saw this coming or uh how stupid was that line or anything along those lines it, it just irritated me um and i didn't enjoy any minute of it and also like you said kevin it was forgettable we watched this two days ago and before we started filming this episode i was like what movie did we just see totally <laughs> forgot about it so, Sam Rockwell's in it, so we'll move it up a little bit, but I forgot that we have the letter E, so E minus 24. Yeah, I forgot about E's too. <laughs> Oops. You can change your grade. Blaze. You can change your grade. No, 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 I'm, I'm okay. sticking with it. D. All right. There's so much wrong with this movie. I think we've done a really good job. Uh, before I get into my final thought, Kevin, you did an awesome job hosting this. I don't think I would have had the chops that last an hour you know, trying to dissect <laughs> this film. Um, like I said, we spent way more time Thank than uh, even the director put on this and writers. So uh, <laughs> very good job to you. Um, that being said, um, <laughs> as a concept, it's aggressively average about boy meets girl. Girl is not happy with current life. Girl eventually screws up and then ends up with guy anyways. It's kind of the basic formula. What really hurt this film for me was just the creepy 
pedophilic undertones. Not maybe not pedophilic. Maybe that's a little strong, but it's very, very a little bit. <laughs> it's very, very creepy in bit. my eyes for a twenty-five-year-old to move in with a sixteen-year-old and everyone just to act like it's okay. And that's like the biggest like issue for me because it makes it so unrealistic. And then yeah, as far as sound. Uh, writing, set pieces, nothing was fun about it. All the comedians that were there weren't funny. And yeah, it was just two hours long. Again, this could have been 90 minutes and I might have given it a little bit of a break. But no, I had to sit through that. So at the end, this is going to be my first F24 and I don't feel bad about it. Uh, I never want to see this movie again and I just can't wait to erase it from my brain. All right. Well, I think we've all said enough. Thank you all for tuning in, and uh, next time we'll uh, hopefully bring you a better movie. Good night, guys.